and welcome to A Nightmare on Fear Street, a monstrous podcast about all things horror. If you like what you hear today, then you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can also rate and review us on Apple iTunes. Today, we're talking about Scream 4. Awesome. So today we are joined by Miss Eleanor Owicki. Um, hello, Eleanor. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Please tell all of our listeners what makes you love horror? What kind of horror is your favorite? Like, what's your horror journey? My horror journey? I feel like I'm definitely one of those people who enjoys horror but does not have an encyclopedic knowledge of it. So, like, I have really enjoyed listening to y'all's back episodes and being like, ooh, I do not know that much about Nightmare on Elm Street and stuff like that. Um, But I feel like uh, my journey to horror began in books, first when I was in daycare in first grade and somebody decided that they would tell us all the story of Shirley Jackson's Haunting of Hill House, which I have a lot of questions about that choice in retrospect. But first of all, it's a great story. And second of all, the main character is named Eleanor. Um, so it's my favorite. Uh, and then I read a lot of the uh, R.L. Stein moving from the Goosebumps to the Fear Street. I, I read a couple of Christopher Pike, but I was a little bit too young and innocent and they were, you know, scandalous. So, uh, <laughs> um, but like in terms of movies, I feel like, as, as with so many things in pop culture, I have a incredible love for campy late 90s stuff. And I think a lot of that was because uh, I was in high school in the late 90s. And like, that was the thing that we would do. Like we would watch horror movies at sleepovers or like my brother and I, or my friend and I would go over to the video store when we still had video stores. Um, it was like local video store fantastic go and like stand and look at all of the covers of horror movies and just pick one that we thought looked utterly ridiculous and fun so like the campy horror is totally my favorite and you know I would probably rather watch a bad movie that like is just overdoing everything than watch something that's like really well crafted if I'm honest um which is why I think I like Scream 3 more than a lot of people do (laughs) it's a mess but I had fun yeah and then like the kind of 90s teen slasher movies like the uh yeah watch scream one and two at sleepovers i know what you did last summer deep cuts uh valentine swim fan like there were some real th- th- those were movies that were made it does not make any sense and like i'm still slightly frustrated that, that the ending of valentine doesn't make any sense but like i also i mean part of the reason i love scream is that I do love the meta and like, so two of my favorites are of the like commentary kind. So there's one which when Borders was still a thing, uh, my brother and I found for $5 in a DVD bin, um, which is Vincent Price's Theater of Blood in which Vincent Price plays a mediocre Shakespearean actor who fakes his own death and then comes back to kill all the critics who gave him bad reviews using methods from Shakespeare's plays. Um, and like, Sherry, I know you don't like Shakespeare, but like, it's beautiful. I think you just talked yourself into season two and we got to find that movie. I, I, it's great. Diana Rigg plays his daughter who like you're theoretically not supposed to know is in on it because whenever you see her, she's in disguise. But like, it's very obviously Diana Rigg in disguise. So like, I don't know what they were doing there. We'll do it. Yeah. And the other one is Popcorn, which is similar, except that they're hosting a like B-horror movie thing with like smell vision and electrified seats and then people get killed using those methods. Um, so basically like kill people using methods from something else and I'm there for you. I'm with you for that whole journey. 
That's a whole genre we need to get into. Um, it sounds <laughs> I, Yeah, we've got some we're planning to do. Just gonna put all those on our <laughs> list for season two real quick. All right. Well, before we get into like specific um, points about the movie, our thoughts, let's just do generally what we thought about the movie as a whole um, with it being, because this came out 12 years after Scream 3. So society has changed a lot between three and four. Um, I really enjoy four. I think four stands up to the original two, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, that's just my, that's my general thought still say it's my second favorite of the franchise even though I watched it two and a half times this week so I it's got a little bit less of a glisten now because I'm just like oh that um I I appreciate the through lines that we've been clocking um like they give you the movie up front even though we don't know they're giving it to us because how many times is Jill like how do you manage all this fame? I could never, mm. it's all there. Like Kevin Williamson is always like, I gave it to you, you didn't want it. <laughs> <laughs> you have that and you also just have some other things we've been tracking. Um, so it, it felt good, it felt like home and the third one did not. So yeah. <laughs> what about you, Eleanor? As, as a fan of the third, how does four feel? Yes, well, I, don't, I feel like a fan of the third is maybe you know, a little strong as somebody who genuinely enjoyed the third. So I think I was saying earlier, like I watched one and two at sleepovers, you know, I did not see them in the theaters, but I saw them at sleepovers around the time they came out. And then I had not seen three or four until I uh, do my homework. So I watched three yesterday and then I watched four this morning. And like, definitely I went into three with very low expectations, which is probably part of the reason why I enjoyed it. I was like, oh, Oh, this is kind of fun. And like, that was better than I was expecting. Um, so like, in some ways, I think I enjoyed three a little bit more than four, but four was clearly a much superior movie. And I, I did have a lot of fun. And I felt like they were doing a good job with the kind of, we figured out the rules of how you figure out who it is. So we're gonna have every single character show up right after Ghostface gets away so that you can't pick using that. Um, Every murder was a curtain call. Yeah, like, yeah, is it over? Yeah. <laughs> Are we done? <laughs> you, you thought the party was the end. No, no, now we're in the hospital. Um, yeah, I think like, I, as I said, I love the meta things. I think it did had a little bit too meta for me at times, which like I did not know was possible. So I learned something about myself, um, but I did really enjoy it. It was a lot of fun. All right. Well, okay. So since all three of us have notes and thoughts on the opening sequences, we have to say sequences for this one because there are multiple. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I think it's, to me, the, the opening sequence theme had gotten kind of stale, especially since, I mean, one is so, the opening scene in one is so iconic because no one thought Drew Barrymore, everyone thought Drew Barrymore was going to be the lead. And then two is so terrifying because it's in public and no one is helping her. Everyone's just cheering and screaming. And then three, I, the opening sequence was just kind of meh. So this one added some more surprises and they also threw in um, a lot of new faces. Um, I know a lot of you don't didn't recognize a lot of the, the girls in this, um, but like the first, so the first two, uh, one is from Pretty Little Liars, which was a huge show for teenagers in, in the early 2000s. And the other one was from Degrassi which again, for young people. Um, and then you had the, the uh, Anna Paquin and um, Kristen Bell, 
Kristen Bell. Right, the those, only two I, those I recognized, and those indeed for me also were the only two I recognized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, I don't know the, the actual two, the two that were actually the, in the movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know them. Well, no, I knew <laughs> one of them was in a show that I didn't like, but it was, and it wasn't that popular. But anyways. I did recognize one of the girl that uh, gets killed first. I did recognize her. But that no. goes back to the aesthetic as well, because like the first screen, you had Drew Barrymore and the woman from Friends and Henry Winkler, mm -hmm. who wasn't really being publicized. And so these weren't like large names, even though like Nev was working and Dave Raquette was working. We weren't like, oh my God, Dave Raquette's in something. Yeah, Let me yeah. renounce our money. <laughs> so it goes back to killing the people who might look familiar or you might've followed in here if you knew they were there, which I didn't know Anna or Christian was there. And so you were there when I saw it and I was like, oh, Veronica Mars. So yeah, I appreciate keeping that realistic um, as far as like what they do regularly. It's tradition. Well, and because yeah. none of the kids, the younger cast in the like main movie were super popular at the time because this was before, um, oh, what's her name? Well, the one who plays Jill. Jill. Roberts. Emma uh, Roberts, yeah. Emma Roberts. This was before her age, her American Horror Story fame and her, like now she's got a bigger name, I think. But back then she was super young and hadn't, she was like on yeah, Disney yeah. Channel. Um, yeah. What about Hayden Panettiere? Because she was the only one of those where I was like, oh, I can actually know yes. your name rather than just being like, you are a person that I'm pretty sure I have seen in things. Heroes. Yeah. yeah. Like, so I knew I knew Hayden and I clocked the Culkin brother because like all of the Culkins were working in the time. I spent a lot of time being like, man, that guy looks like Macaulay Culkin, but it definitely isn't. And then like I looked at his name and I was like, okay, well, good job me. Like <laughs> They were in everything I saw for like five years. There was at least one or two. And I don't know how they had like Hollywood <laughs> Monopoly. <laughs> But it was just like, oh my god, you have another younger brother? Okay, I'm not surprised. Like, and, and you also have um, Nico, I can't say his their last name, so I'm not going to try. Um, but this was before they came out as non-binary, and like now it's a huge, they are a huge, um, he plays, they played the boyfriend. They were on um, Drag Race Celebrity or whatever. Um, he, they're also on Younger, they're about to be on new Walking Dead TV show series spinoff thing so you know people before they were big <laughs> yeah 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 this opening though I loved it any other thoughts about the opening well I, think I will say I did not love it um I did love the Anna Paquin Kristen Bell sequence um first of all just because I was like oh my gosh I recognize them this is fantastic and I I have a long journey with Anna Paquin where I did not initially like her, but I've started to warm with her. I have great fondness for Kristen Bell. Um, and then we get to the kind of, oh, we're just gonna stab you right in the middle of this conversation. I was like, okay, I'm enjoying this. Um, I was worried, and this is also like part of how I know I'm getting old. Cause like I was watching the first sequence, like the one from what stab six, seven, I don't remember what numbers yeah. were on. Um, and I was like, are we gonna kill this? 12 year old child and then I was like oh maybe I'm just old now like she's probably not actually 12. So I felt like they did a great job of like drawing attention to that and then they just kind of went and did it anyway for the actual killing and I was like oh that's fine. I'm a little bit disappointed and like the screen three one was kind of a mess but like I did enjoy that it had those kind of elements of like the psychological torture. I was also spending a lot of time time trying to remember who Leah Schreiber was. Um, so I was going on a journey there. Um, 
Also, I now know that the detective in that one was Patrick Dempsey. I thought Noah Wiley. So I was just going through somebody who played a doctor on a TV show I didn't watch. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I, I enjoyed the three opening more. And so this was my least favorite of them, which like I enjoyed the first three. So it's not like saying that was awful, but it kind of like after the Anna Paquin, Kristen Bell stuff, I was like, yeah, that's fine. I, I really, really, really found myself again thinking I would watch all of these stab movies. I was upset they're not actual movies. We can marathon um, for our own podcast. I feel like the stabathon is too much, especially starting that late at night, which <laughs> concerns me because where are the parents in this town? You only see Jill's mom. You don't even see Sydney's dad anymore. You don't see Jill's mom. And you have these kids starting a seven movie marathon at like midnight. And I'm just like, no, it's not a good choice. Even with as awful as horror movie parents are, I feel like some would have a curfew. I just I feel like nobody's parents ever even got mentioned. There wasn't like the casual like, oh, my parents are out of town, so we can be alone at the house. They were just like, parents do not exist or not worth mentioning. <laughs> Those were the first three movies. We moved on. <laughs> I did love the the moment in the opening when it's the first say it's the first session and the guy the killer calls her. And he's like, if you hang up again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you just see what your insides look like. Too. It's for you. <laughs> I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Pass that phone real quick. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I would watch all of them. I would. <laughs> I absolutely would. Well, like I said, there is someone who, a fan who made the Stab movies a series. Yeah, I do believe that they're on YouTube. I don't. I could be wrong about that. Someone let us know. But and then you can go to stabmovie.com and it's got its own website. And like, yeah. Of course it does. I mean, I, I promise you, I, I hate to tell you, but Kristen Bell and Anna Packler are not in any of them. <laughs> what? Where them. is their dedication to their art? Like... <laughs> right? Come on, Veronica Mars. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, they are out there. I have not watched any of them. It would be interesting to watch them, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm gonna get into those tonight. Um, don't be surprised if you get a random message to be like, we have to cover these, they're great. <laughs> Having all the plans for the coming recordings, yes. this is what we're doing. Gonna send our next guest an email being like, we lied. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and my first point is my very strong feeling that uh, Kirby is clearly written to be a lesbian. Not just that I find her gay, but like I think she is written as a lesbian and therefore uh, her kind of coming on to Charlie is a complete betrayal of everything. Um, like she shows up in her little like blazer and like short hair and soft butch aesthetic. And then you've got like the scene where they're all at the cinema club, which like, why is she even there? I don't know. Um, but uh, who is it, Robbie, the kid who's always recording things, says something like, oh, you only survive if you're gay, which first of all, is that a rule? Because like, that's convenient for me, but uh, it's not one that I'm familiar with. Our whole podcast is differently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're only um, in. I have a note that says, um, being gay to survive a horror movie, uh, like name one, <laughs> please. Yeah. Right? Like, Immediately after they, he says that, they cut to her. And I was like, okay, cool. I was right. Awesome. I'm now proceeding with the assumption that this is a plot point. Like Hollywood and like popular fiction love their like deranged lesbian killers. So I thought this was possibly the direction we were going with this. And like then she and Jill are lying in bed watching Shaun of the Dead and like Jill's all in flannel. And I was like, ooh, is it the two of them as the killers this time? And then I was like, ooh, but there has to be somebody else involved then too, because they have both been there when shit has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then Kirby starts hitting on Charlie and I'm like, what the fuck? Well, this is clearly part of the evil plan. Uh, and then it's not part of the evil plan. And just like, I'm, I'm deeply distressed um, and I, I don't appreciate it. I don't appreciate being played with like that. <laughs> you could just be figuring herself out. I know, <laughs> that is, I mean, like, maybe, you know, she and Jill, like all of this could have been avoided if they had just like, you know, had a little bit more of a supportive environment. I think so. Like I, I watched this two and a half times this week, as I was telling you. <laughs> and because I was like, why does everybody love Kirby? Like, it's ridiculous. You don't have a, you do have a Twitter, but you don't use it. And <laughs> people <laughs> live for Kirby. They live oh, for Kirby. I, I they, love Kirby. I love Kirby. I'm okay with her. But after I started clocking the blazer and the short hair and like <laughs> this, this, I just, I, I love her whole persona and her whole like character <laughs> as a person and as a character, yes. But I didn't need more from her until I was like, what if she's not straight? What if, yeah. what if there's more to her and we're not getting that? And well, then like, I was like, I see. Yeah, I, I definitely like was not sure because like I definitely have a tendency to like assume all female characters are queer until you like have them standing up and saying I'm not attracted to women at all. Um, so I was like, maybe this is just me. And then they did the cut and I was like, oh good, it's not just me. And then I was betrayed. Yeah, no, I, I can see it. it. It changes my hot take a little bit. Not much, but it changes a little bit. <laughs> and now I want this. I want this canon. I want Kevin <laughs> to be like, yes. I just didn't finalize it, but yes. <laughs> um, I will yeah. say that, because I said this in the last episode that hasn't been put out yet, but I have a friend that has a, has a theory that Sydney is a lesbian. I mean, I, I wasn't gonna bring this up because we're not talking about Scream 1, but I do really feel like one of the most lesbian things I did in my teenagerhood when I was not out to anybody, including myself, was have a big crush on Skeet Ulrich. And just like, I cannot exactly articulate why that is a super lesbian thing to do, but I believe that it is. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, it, yeah, Sydney, I, I, I buy that. Yeah, she's got the leather jacket in the second and third one, she's chopped all her hair off. Yep, yep. And, you know. <laughs> like, I, I, I see this, I see this for her and I feel like it's, it's the best of the outcomes for Sydney because like the men she kept choosing <laughs> were not no. enough for her. No. If they didn't try to kill her, then their mothers or their friends did. So perhaps, <laughs> perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yes. She's she trying see, to tell herself something. <laughs> I could see her be being a lesbian, at least bisexual. Yeah. I could see her being bi. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to get too much into Kirby because I have. She's part of my hot take. So <laughs> I keep giving my hot takes up earlier in the episode, and then it's like, oh no, I have. To I initially put this down as my hot take, and then I was like, is there any way that I'm not going to start with this early on? And I was like, it's not. I'm just going to not do that to myself, and I'm put something different as a hot take. Right. I'm glad you did because, like, it it really, really reshapes everything, and it makes me. It makes me understand why people might have latched on to Kirby because I couldn't understand. She's cool, yes, but also it's sort of like when a celebrity does something that we all do, and people are like, "Oh my God, Alicia Keys doesn't wear makeup anymore," and it's like I, I wear makeup yeah. three times a year, maybe. If <laughs> yeah, I think like if she's not queer, she's just kind of an annoying bitch. So like, <laughs> so yeah, I. 
because like her blazer her blazer game was forever she only had blazers yeah right. only had blazers. she had found a look and she was going with it yeah i i and read that never happens i read an interview one time with hayden pinatera and she was when she was talking about scream 4 and she said the hardest line that she was just overthinking the whole time was when Robbie Mercer asked her, what's her favorite scary movie? And she says, Bambi. <laughs> that was the hardest line. <laughs> it was like, how do I say that? Do I say it? Bambi, 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 Bambi. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. I love it. I mean, yeah. My first point we haven't gotten to is it feels real weird that Sydney has this extended family on Maureen's side that we never heard about in three movies. I thought that too. Yeah, especially since like the last one was all about her mother's past. Yeah. And I was like, surely she would have at some point been like, oh, let's just call up my Aunt Kate and she can tell us about this stuff. Like, they did not do that though. They no. never did. Also, her dad is missing in this one, but he was there for one and three. So, like, I assume he still lives in this town because, like, <laughs> everybody right. seems stuck in this town. It, <laughs> so, right. like, what? It also screams- Maybe he was like, I want to survive. So, I'm out. Like I've made it through You're two movies that I appeared in, in like <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, like, it feels like that time when they had to bring Randy's sister back to be like, Randy's still here, and he has a sister now. <laughs> here she is with a video <laughs> from college. <laughs> it also just changes things because Sydney stays with Tatum in the first one when things start getting wild, but she had a whole auntie over there who either had oh, like, yeah. an infant or not an infant because. I, I'm not sure how old these kids are. They're old enough to drive, but I don't know if they're like 17, 18, which changes things. Yeah, but they're still in high school. So yeah, they're not older than 18. Yeah, I just, because like if they're 15 and like you can just drive in this town, which I don't know California. <laughs> driving no, 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 it's still 16. Okay, so at least 16. Um, so like they could have been born right at or right after the original. <laughs> maybe, maybe her mom was in labor that week and so her aunt was in labor that week. So she couldn't stay with her because of that. Possibly. <laughs> the whole week. She was in labor the whole week. Mm-hmm. It, was, yeah. it was a long birth. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the best excuse though? It's like people are dying and you want to stay with me. Mm, I'm in labor. <laughs> <laughs> Jill's mom is also really weird. Like the whole time, I'm like oh, you're strange. <laughs> That's that actor. I meant to Google her name, but like everything she's ever done, upset of Grey's Anatomy, all about a Star Galactica. She's just got a weird energy she brings to these characters. She's like, you will not just give me a Karen. No, right. <laughs> this Karen has layers. <laughs> well, it's like. There was a point where uh, Sydney gets the phone call, like, oh, it's all about blood. Oh, and it's like, she's like, oh, it means they're coming after my family. I'm like, no, it means you're the family. It's your aunt. It's your creepy ass Aunt Kate. And then Aunt Kate comes in and like three minutes later is stabbed. And I was like, oh, I guess not. Aunt Kate has the single most boring death of the movie. Literally, she's stabbed through the mail slot in the door. Yeah. Also, who still has mail slots in their doors? Is that still a thing people do in the suburbs? Like, <laughs> not in my suburb. <laughs> no. I mean, I guess, yeah, I'm like picturing my friend's California houses and yeah, there are, there are some, so. We don't really do mailboxes by the sides of door, by the sides of like on the street. Mm-hmm. Where so. did those go, I thought? <laughs> but uh, the line where she said, when uh, she says, I have scars too. <laughs> they're like, they're talking about <laughs> scars, mom. Um. <laughs> like what are you That's talking super about? Auntie I do though. like, 
I would 100% watch the spinoff that is uh, the parents of this town just being incompetent parents. Like, and then every once in a while, some people are like, another child has been murdered. And they'll be like, oh, that sucks. And then like go about doing whatever it is that they do. My first thought is this Gail versus Deputy Hicks, Deputy Judy Hicks. Um, it, one, I will say it gives us some great lines like, are you familiar with I wrote the book on this? Slams door. <laughs> or your lemon squares taste like ass. Two of my favorite parts of this movie. <laughs> um, and it really, it, that relationship gives me, between Gail and Hicks, makes me really dislike Dewey even more. Um, it's obviously she's hitting on Dewey, but Dewey never says anything about it. Gail's not bothered by that. She's more angry with Dewey and Hicks for just ignoring her and shutting her out of everything. And Dewey is like oblivious to it all. He's either oblivious or a part of it. Like he's either actively taking part of it or he's oblivious. Either one I don't, I hate. (laughs) Going to repeat myself as I have done every episode in this series of Scream, just this little franchise. Dewey should have stayed dead one of the first two times. Um, (laughs) Yeah. He really didn't add a lot to this movie, like. Like Dewey is the least likable here because they've done this three times. Gil is be- correct, Gil is correct. They've done this yeah. three times. He knows to listen to her in Sydney. When we first see him in this movie, he's waking up in bed next to Gail who wrote the book on it. And he's got Sydney's book on his bedstand table and even quotes her book to her. So he's read it recently. Yeah. It's not like he's like, oh, we did do this thing three times 50 years ago. It's like, you just did it a decade ago and there's still information coming out. Why are you all of a sudden like, I can't listen to these two women who have helped me survive this three times now. Yeah. I am a deputy. Well, I feel like, like him and Gail are kind of the peak of the like, will they, won't they, when they actually do, you're like, oh, this is over. There is nothing else good left to do with this because like, she deserves so much. She does not deserve to be stuck in this town. She deserves to be off like, living her best life rather than like shrinking herself to fit into this role as the sheriff's wife and i i want better things for her too that's i love other, her like right that's my other issue is that gail deserves more she's given up her whole life to stay here with dewey and dewey for some reason now and is like i can't hear you i am self-important i've finally found my own manist in me and so i can't have you like help me save some lives yeah <laughs> also like he's not very good like the police are never good but like I feel like in this one the police are especially not good like which I think is why both Gail and Sydney are like we're just doing this on our own <laughs> like I can't <laughs> I can't rely on you first off Dewey's in charge of the police so mistake number one yeah. um, Hicks is the right hand and Hicks is in love with Dewey so like her judgment's off and then your other two officers you see the most slash hear the most are Anthony Anderson and Adam Brody who I I love my little Adam Brody. I've been watching him forever, but he's not going to protect us. No. <laughs> I don't look at him and go, that's police material. I look at him and go, have you heard of any new bands recently, Adam? Like, yeah. <laughs> let's talk music. Well, I, like, I was suspicious of Hicks for the significant part of the movie, just because, like, she started it off by flirting with Dewey, and I was like, well, there's no reason anybody would do that if it wasn't part of a larger scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was waiting for that shoe to drop, and, like, no, it it, it didn't. Well, and, and she has another that weird Sydney, where she's like, do you remember me? And Sydney's like, no, nah, yeah. it's been forever, and you were a bit part in a play I was in. 
Yeah, this is part of my sequence where like, I think in my notes, I just say like, do all the women want to bang Sydney? Cause there was also definitely a moment where like uh, Kirby first met Sydney, which was also part of my theory. It was like, oh, she really wants her and like fair, but like. I, the stairwell scene with Hicks is when I crossed Hicks off of the list of possible suspects. Cause it was too creepy and too forced. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, she might want her fame. She might want her, but she's not killing people. <laughs> and so I was like, who oh. else could it be? She did do a good job of like mimicking the crazy eyes from time to time. And I was like, oh, I see what you're doing there. Awesome. I don't, still don't think it's you, but like yeah. nice, nice red herring. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I will give her that. Um, I just, unfortunately that scene is when I was like, it's not her, who else? Um. <laughs> I love Gail. Her and Cindy, yeah. her and Cindy like flip flop from my favorite character in this, in this franchise. Oh yeah, I definitely, uh, this is, as I say in my notes, this is not an original observation. Like this is something I've been hearing a lot, but I was definitely like at the Stabathon thing. I was like, why the fuck are all these idiots going there? Nobody would really do that. And then I was like, oh, we're in the middle of the pandemic and everybody is doing that. Never mind. I have to like entirely reset my sense of what is plausible because this is such a stupid plan. And like all of the pandemic has made me realize that people would 100% go to Stabathon in the middle of a serial killing spree. Like, yes, they would gladly go. They would argue for their right to go. Yeah, <laughs> you'd yeah. be like, you're going to get stabbed. It's my right as an American to be stabbed. <laughs> it's just like, like okay. the parents would be like, I'm just going to be absent. And then, like, the people who are theoretically in charge would not be like, maybe we're in over our head and we should pull in some outside help. Maybe, like, let us just let these two very sweet but not very effective cops just kind of hang around and assume that they'll do it. Like, I, I also hate it because these kids are so self-aware that they know the next step of this killer's path is to kill them all at a party. So they go to the Sabathon and that gets busted up by the killer. And then they're like, let's have a separate party afterwards because he left some of us alive. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, like, because like you said, 2020 has taught us this is <laughs> realistic. And so I want to, I, I'm so mad that I can no longer be like, nobody does that. Cause I know oh. say nobody can do that. And took that away from me. This year took it away from me. <laughs> I mean, you can still say like any intelligent person wouldn't do that. It's just we found out that the number of intelligent people in the world is perhaps lower than we had, you know, even in our worst case scenarios thought. Possibly lower than Dewey's IQ. What? Oh. <laughs> Pretty low. I mean, I guess like, like, you know, you can't get being serial killed and then pass that on to your family. So like in some way they're still ahead of people in real life. So my next point, it's it's a cold point because I've been making it every step of this franchise, <laughs> if not every episode of our podcast. Um, so for this, let's just for the scream sake of it, let's redo these numbers. And the first one, I clocked three possible BIPOC people in Sydney's class with no lines in the one scene towards the top. And the second one, we get three black people, we kill two up top. <laughs> and then we kill the third one because Sydney decides to go back and check the car instead of just killing the person in the car. So we get to scream three and we have one black person who of course we kill and leave face down so he can have more screen time as a oh, dead guy. Really give him a good death. Like he's like, oh, we introduced this character and forgot to kill him off. So, oh, well, we'll throw him out a window. Like I was like, we could have done so much better if we had to kill him, which I feel like we never have to kill the black people. But that's my own essay I'm going to write later on in life. Well, I do. Like, I feel like this is kind of, again, one of my kind of complaints with the meta. And this is, goes back to my, what I was saying about the intro is like earlier on, he's like, oh, the black person always gets kills first. And you're like, or gets killed early on or whatever. I don't remember. You're like, so are you going to do something to subvert this? That would be very exciting. And then they're like, uh, instead of that, what if we just lampshade it and then do it anyway? 
Like, Thank you. This whole series could have been called Lampshade instead of Scream, and it would have made more <laughs> sense. Um, yes. So we get to Scream 4, and we are back to just the one Black person, because that worked for the third one. So why why give yep. more Black people jobs? Um, and it's Anthony Anderson, who's a cop. So like, double jeopardy, because the cops die, the Black people die. You're going to die, Anthony. And Anthony dies with a knife in his forehead in the street. Oh, that was unpleasant. Wasn't it, though? Um, and of course, his last line is comedic. Um, I also just had an issue with him being a cop, because as we know, the cops are going to die for the lead and the lead is always white. And so we keep putting the BIPOC people, especially the black people in these roles, where it's like, you have to die for Sydney and friends. Sorry about it. Good day. Yeah. Um, so that pissed me off up top. Also the trope of putting one cop car outside the house where things are gonna happen with two cops. We've seen this trope in every franchise. It doesn't work. <laughs> I'm saying like, if I, um, Dewey, and this is round four of massacres, and I am not an idiot, which obviously Dewey is, but like, I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna call in some more people. I'm not just gonna assume that like one cop car is gonna handle it. Like, that's not a good plan. He has not thought through this. Especially when it's Anthony Anderson and little bitty Adam Brody. I have the biggest question, Adam. He is not a protector, okay? <laughs> Casting Adam Brody as a police officer was a choice to begin with. Right? I was like, you couldn't find anybody who fit the bill as a cop. Like, but also, go ahead. I was gonna say, they definitely were not like trying to fake us out and be like, oh, maybe these will be competent cops. Like, they were like, we're not even going to try to go down that route. Like, we're just going to, you know what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen. Why pretend? No, I, I feel like the casting here was wild because, first off, all of Jill's friends are white. And so we're not even trying to give like a friend of any color <laughs> time. Um, so like, we don't even do that anymore, which at least we did that in the second one. It was like, maybe perhaps Sydney would meet somebody of color. Jill doesn't apparently, not in <laughs> No. We don't have, like, I, I love Alison Brie because I watch Community and I want her to do more, but also that role could have been somebody, not Alison Brie, if we needed somebody. I mean, still ends up dead, but you know, we could have, it doesn't have to be just the one black person. We, we yeah. need to stop doing that. That is blatant tokenism. Um, and Anthony <laughs> was that token, unfortunately, this time around. And so it's like, who is this for? I would have rather you not. I would have rather you'd given this to like, I don't know, somebody else, instead of being like, we're gonna put one black person here <laughs> and you can count yeah. down the minutes till they die. Yeah, <laughs> but like also like, I mean, I, I realized I, I was forgetting to track this until fairly late when we were out, when we were no longer in scenes where there were a lot of extras, but like, you know, I grew up in California. Like I even grew up in a relatively white part of California, but like, it, it, you know, yeah. particularly like Asian and Latinx folks, there were a lot of them around, like maybe they should be, I mean, ideally characters too, but if not characters, like the random people in the cinema club or something like that. Exactly. We had a whole Sabathon in a barn. And I'm, I mean, granted, I wouldn't go to a Sabathon in a barn, but also, you know what, for the sake of suspending disbelief and getting some sort of representation on the screen, I would have been like, yes, I see two people who look like me. Thank you. <laughs> that was not here. It was not there. Not at the also, store. spinoff is like all the BIPOC folks of Woodsboro who are just like, oh, well, this is clearly a bad idea. And they're like off on vacation. Even the girls up top, because we went through three different um, couples of dead girls. And mm -hmm. like, I, again, it ends in death, but like 
one of them, I mean, I, I love Christian Bell. I'm okay with Anna Paquin. I don't know the other ones. One of them could have easily been swapped out <laughs> for somebody of color. I, yep. I don't know. It was just like, you didn't even try anymore because at least in the second one, it was like, someone has the thought of, we should add more black people even if we are going to kill them all. We should add more. <laughs> and so I was like, let's build on that and have maybe one live. <laughs> no. Like, no, no, we don't want that. <laughs> Oh, um, I thought, okay, so this is a through line throughout the whole franchise, but I thought it was really well done in this movie. The vocal choices that the voice actor does uh, as the killer on the phone, mimicking how Jill speaks. Mm -hmm. The same kind of rhythm that she speaks in, because she tends to, especially when she's going in at the end, when she's switched to her crazy self um, or her psychotic self, she, she tends to, everything goes up. You want to do this. You want to do that. And the and the killer on the phone did the same thing. Which I so I, I clocked that and I was like, that's awesome. And they do that throughout all of them, I think. But this one was the best. I was just say, I since this was the first time I watched it, I'm now like, oh shit, I need to go back and rewatch it and pay attention to that because I did not pick up on that, but I was not looking for that. <laughs> I, I I didn't pick up on it either, so I kind of want to like finish this last one because I in the middle of it. Um, but I think it also is probably a sign that when you cast actors who are closer to age appropriate, <laughs> um, the people who are going to play them on the phone can be like, teenagers are doing this and this actor's doing this. So maybe I, my power cuff girl, <laughs> can do this. Like he's one of Hollywood's best kept secrets. That's what all the headlines keep saying when he does get any sort of attention. Um, and so like if you, if you cast appropriately, <laughs> and you let him like hear some of it he can do the things we don't have to just always be like what's your favorite scary movie <laughs> um yeah i did enjoy the what was it in the one of the oh no i think it was like it was not one of the original sequences it was jill oh which like now super meta when she called uh one of the other ones I never remember their names and was like oh what's your favorite scary movie the neighbor and then they're like oh this is really bad you're doing a bad impression and I was like that's fun because you know we've all done bad impressions of the screen scream guy on the phone (laughs) because like even so thinking back to the first scream movie he on the phone was very kind of um he used a, a lower register what's your favorite scary movie everything was very like guttural and it was, and that's how Billy and Billy spoke specifically. Stu, to, Stu as well when they were in the praise, in yeah. the, when he wasn't being silly. Um, and in Scream Two, he was much more manic, and everything was really fast. And now, just like uh, Lori Metcalf, Lori Metcalf, <laughs> raccoonize herself, Lori <laughs> Metcalf. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I just want to clock that and give him all the credit, or you know, yeah, give him. And and uh, Jill, and three. yeah. And yeah. three, he also got Scott Foley down pretty well as far as speech patterns go. Because Scott Foley has a very Scott Foley speech pattern. That's all I can say about it. I've been watching him since Felicity. Um, I haven't did Scandal <laughs> in part to see him. Um, he's got a very I'm Scott Foley. This is my rhythm. You're welcome. And <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Good for you, Mojo Jojo. Good for you. Oh, and I and I, I think that we, as a as a culture and as a fan base of horror and movies and things in general, need to give more um, praise to voice acting because it's not hard. I mean, it's not easy. 
you know, people trained to do that. And so, hey, all props. You're not there on set where you can like be in a scene with a person and you can like feed off of each other. You were in a studio before 2020, maybe now you're at home in your PJs, like <laughs> in between sips of whatever you're drinking and eating. And you're just like, what's your favorite scary movie? God, this feels weird. <laughs> but he also like always manages to like have the moments early on when you're like, oh, this could be a nice guy with a creepy voice who's calling to ask about your favorite series. Oh no, it's not. No, he is in fact still the killer. Oh, and it was it is interesting that um uh Wes never wanted his actors to meet him. He didn't want them to know mm. it. Yeah. Because I mean he was in a studio on his own doing his own thing. But like they, they never had events together. They never had any kind of interaction with him, um, specifically because he didn't want them to know the guy on the phone. To be fair, he's also very busy being the voice of everyone. Truly. Yeah, yeah. You had to book him five years in advance. Like, <laughs> Wasn't he also the movie phone guy where you would call and he would be like, yeah. showing time's yeah. on. <laughs> if you've heard a voice, it's him. Right. Um, <laughs> he had the tilde uh, switching of voices. <laughs> did he did he ever do the in a world where probably <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like his wikipedia page was too many lines for me to ever finish and, so I gave up. <laughs> and i was like good on you sir good on you i think like this is consistent with me saying oh this became a little bit too meta for me because i felt like they were lampshading it but not doing anything with it so like the surprise scene that i really loved in spite of the fact that it became it came immediately after my kirby related betrayal um so we're going to set that aside for the moment is the scene where theoretically at least charlie has been captured um and kirby is getting the calls and it is like so entirely a recreation of the Drew Barrymore sequence in Scream 1. But like, there's not a moment where Hayden B. Panettiere is like, oh, this reminds me of right. uh, the beginning of the movie Stab or anything like that. They just kind of let it happen and like, presumably most people notice it, but like they're not aggressively, aggressively throwing it at you. Um, and then they also let it do something different because yeah, it turns out that he is in fact not really taken prisoner which like it's obvious when she says like every yeah. title of movie I'm like well that is you, like even if you have said the right answer in there that doesn't count as the right answer. like I am a professor I grade exams that does not count like <laughs> I can't just list everything and correct. <laughs> no no and it's a thing people try and it's why I specifically say if you include wrong information in addition to right information that will lower your grade um <laughs> yes. because I have this is not my first rodeo and so if I was Hayden Benchier I would be like okay I've tried this gambit and it didn't work or it did, seems to have worked, but it should not have worked. So <laughs> this is suspicious. <laughs> yeah, well, in, in this time, they use, instead of using that as the opening, they use that as the reveal. Right. Another thing is that these murders were so random that maybe she didn't clock this recreation because in the first three, it makes sort of sense who he's killing and why he's killing them, whether it's the mm -hmm. name game and the second one, or they're related to the whole like movie that they're making, or in the first one where they were killing Sydney's friends. Like these these deaths make sense in the first three, whereas this one is just like we have to kill people so we can start killing the people. Mm -hmm. Aside from Sydney's assistant, who is close to Sydney, so that one made sense. That like there was half a second where I thought that she might not die in that sequence, and I was real annoyed because like definitely within seconds I was like I hope she's one of the ones who gets killed, and then she did, and I was real happy about that. Um, <laughs> All of her choices were 
Oh, so you're, if you're in a parking lot and you're close to the door you just walk through and you get a phone call, wouldn't you turn around and go back through the door? Yeah. Wouldn't you not get out of the car and call the police from inside the car? Wouldn't you, if there's a, if your alarm starts going off and it's loud and a thing that might attract people's attention, wouldn't you stay by it? Because like, yeah, no, the killer made it go off, but like, that's going to be the place people are going to come. So don't leave that place. Also, I don't drive, but I've been in apartments enough to hear car alarms and they go off forever. So whenever they mess with your car, how did the alarm stop going off? Did they snatch your keys somehow, some way? Wouldn't you see Who keys knows? playing her purse? I don't know. I just, this deck feels weird because her choices <laughs> and the information I don't have to make it make sense. Also the keeping of the heels, because if you're going to run, wouldn't you take your heels off? That's in Jurassic World nonsense, the running in the hills. <laughs> it's hard for me because I would not be wearing heels in the first place Thanks. because I, yeah, I love myself. Um, and, and I know other people who wear heels that do not find them incredibly painful and more power to you, but like, no, I'm not doing that. Heels are one of the lies I just won't tell myself. What? Yeah. <laughs> That's where they're at. I can't walk in them. If I want bruises, I'll find them on my own. I don't have to fall down <laughs> in my shoes. <laughs> I don't need that betrayal. <laughs> I also think that her death so one thing I do want to mention is this movie um, so we, in the last episode we talked about how in the third installment there's hardly any blood like they didn't use any they used very little blood well they oh, yeah. gave us more blood than we needed in this movie like there was more gore in this movie than ever before um, like when uh, her friends got her guts out I, uh, yeah that was that was a thing that happened that I do not feel was necessary <laughs> The neighbor friend girl, like there was more blood in her room than in her body. It, I, yeah, I feel like it's a recreation of the first death in Nightmare on Fierce, <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> the one is the film rather than your podcast. Yeah, so no, that's what happens when you name your film. That's what happens when you name your podcast something cute and you drink on your podcast. You never know what it's called. Yeah, I definitely like looked at that and I was like, this feels like somebody has gone and like splatter painted the whole room deliberately because like I've watched crime shows. I know about like blood splatter platter patterns and like that's not that's not what that looks like. So I think that they were trying to like up the ante on this on this fourth installment without resorting to because like I thought in the third movie, like when they blow up the house, I was like, that's just (laughs) Did we really need that? You know, no, so I think with that with that scene in the guts and then throwing the assistant's body off of the thing and then hitting the thing. I think that was a way for them to do that without being so big that it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I I definitely appreciated not laughing at the deaths like I did in the third one, because they were all so funny. <laughs> and, yeah. This one was just like, that's a choice. I don't know if I buy it, but I'm willing to follow you. <laughs> I did really enjoy in the uh, moment where it looks like Jill has successfully killed Sid and is like going and throwing herself against everything. Like that kind of like very deliberate, thoughtful, like I'm gonna hit every goddamn cliche that there is. Glass uh, table, here we go. <laughs> I did really enjoy that part. That is my favorite moment for her. Um, I just, the dedication and right. like the snatching of her hair with the dead guy's hands. Uh, yeah, yeah. My, my one question with this whole sequence is that she shoots her boyfriend in the junk and that if I was a detective, granted it's Dewey and these police <laughs> officers, but in the real world, police would be like, this feels personal. Yeah. <laughs> 
that might have given her away. Um, outside Maybe, of- you know, Charlie in the world where we think Charlie's the one who did this, he felt emasculated by Trevor. Was that his name? The boyfriend's name? Unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Red herring boyfriend who was so much of a red herring that I was like, oh God, maybe it actually is him. Like, maybe this is a double bluff. (laughs) (laughs) I I literally was like, you're trying too hard, but he can't be you. Because everything that was said was like, I am talking in this register and I'm thinking in your I have snuck through your window. And then Sydney's going to be like, this reminds me of when my boyfriend snuck through my window and then was the killer. Um, Yeah. Right. also just kind of a random character because I don't know how people felt about him because he's calling her friends. Her friends seem not interested, <laughs> but they're relaying information. And I I couldn't get a read on how that character fit into this world in this circle of friends or if. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, another really quick, before we get to Sheree's next point, the uh, scene that I thought was really effective the first time I watched it, it's not so much, after I know what's happening. But that first time I watched the scene where they're watching Shaun of the Dead and the killer calls Kirby and he's like, I'm in the closet. And like, I was like, what the, f-? and I did, cause I did not read, I, I didn't read that he was gonna be, I didn't expect that he was gonna be in the neighbor's closet. That came out of no. nowhere. You um, knew somebody was gonna watch somebody else getting murdered through the window. I was just entirely reversed about who it was gonna be, so. Right. What I couldn't figure out in that scene, because I didn't think he was in their closet, but I also was like, I don't know whose closet because it's Ghostface. What I couldn't figure out is how he knew what movie they were watching, but now because we know Jill is the killer, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) we know these things could have been recorded or could have been shared um, with the other killer. And so that makes more sense. Weren't they talking to neighbor girl before he called and said what they were, yeah, because they said what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. But she didn't go, you're watching Shaun of the Dead again? Can you hear me in that closet? Like, so it was never shared on her end of the phone call. So I was like, she was not doing the, let me repeat what you said so yeah. that the audience can, you know, know what is happening on this phone conversation because we were actually hearing both sides of it. Yeah. And so I was like, how does Ghostface know what they're watching? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was the one thing that should have told me that Jill or Kirby was in on it because the killer knew what they were watching. See, well, that was when I was like, Kirby is the evil lesbian. So (laughs) this, like, it all fit together in my mind. That would have been a better choice. And we could have gotten out of Sid's family tree for once because I'm sure she's tired of talking about her family. I feel like (laughs) if I'm Sid at this point, I am like drawing cops an extended version of my family tree and being like, look, you should just look into all of these people. My Nana lives on Windsor. Go talk to her. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That leads me to my point. Our trio feels weird. Um, and I'm good with us to start killing them off. Because first off, we've had them for three movies. So when they make these dumb choices, it's like, what are, what are you doing? You know you can't do that. You've survived enough to know better. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we got to kill them and start fresh. Um, Sydney specifically, I don't buy this book tour. Um, I get that she thinks that perhaps putting stuff on paper will help other people who are in similar like trauma situations. But again, the Sydney we've known for a decade at this point does not want attention. <laughs> the Sydney we know wants to hide from the attention and avoid what happens here with this book tour. <laughs> so I, I didn't buy that. It very much, and this was kind of partially happening with three as well for me, felt like we have decided that this is an empowerment arc. So it's going to be an empowerment arc, whether 
we can like really make that work effectively or not. And not was for me the answer. Right. And, and mean, like, even if for some reason she did think book tour is the way to go with this, would she go back to the town her mother died in? On the, the anniversary when they do all the creepy ass let's hang ghost face on all of the lampposts bullshit. Like. This ain't my Sydney. This ain't my Sydney. It, 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 it works for me. I don't know. And I believe that Sydney would write the book. The book tour, maybe I can see where you're coming from. Um, especially it being on the anniversary that it seems a little far-fetched, but like, I do think she would come back to her hometown at some point. Well, not on the anniversary, but at some point because it's her hometown. Yeah. Um, and she's like reclaiming things. Yeah, coming back yeah. to the hometown in general, I can definitely see. Um, it made me want to talk to a therapist this tour because like, this is not <laughs> how you resolve your traumas. Mm-hmm. Writing the book, yes. Writing the book under another name, yes. But there's been seven movies and she like threatened to sue if they made another one about her life. Gil's written a couple of books. She still seems a little bit salty about it, but they put that under the bridge. Mm-hmm. So why would she turn around and be like, here's my book of what happened. And also I'm back on the anniversary. It, mm-hmm. it felt like they were making her do the thing to have the plot as opposed to something this character would do. We don't get enough of her new life to make any of this make sense. So she's just doing random shit. Like I have not been back to my hometown in possibly a decade and then nobody I knew uh, it was turned into fish sticks in this manner like not this the volume was not the same and so like <laughs> to be fair it's been even longer for Sid because Sid it, she hasn't been back to Woodsboro since one because two yeah. she's in college three she was a recluse and now she's coming back and it's 2012 from 1996. My second question for Sydney was like you've survived three movies why are you running to the party solo? Why don't you call for anybody's help? You don't call Gail, who's more effective than the police force. You don't call the police force. You hop in a car and you run to this party to grab your cousin and you think what's going to happen with you and Gail's face. I think in that moment for me, what the defense I have or what I had in my head when I watched it was that she's just concerned about getting Jill and getting her safe. She doesn't think past that. The police are not effective. She could have called Gail, yeah, yeah. that's true, but they're not like besties by any stretch. No, and is that after Gail has already, does she know Gail is in the hospital at that point? Like, I actually don't remember if she knows if she's in the hospital at that point, does she? I don't know if she knows it, but she is. <laughs> I don't think she knows at this point. I feel like they have also kind of to a certain extent, especially with her, you know, running from her aunt's house into the neighbor girl's house right after the neighbor girl has been murdered, kind of established that she is to a certain extent, like, I am not going to prioritize my own safety over the safety of others. So like, to a certain extent, that also kind of made that thing. I don't think it was a good choice. But no. like, it, I mean, yeah, it I don't I think it's more plausible to me. Right. I think plausibility and it being a good strategical choice are two different. <laughs> This is a very good point. Yes. Even on her way to the neighbor. Right. Even on her way to the neighbor, she calls for the cops who are nowhere to be found because they're useless. So yeah. she she at least acknowledges that she should have help. But yeah. like this time she doesn't. And I know she has a phone on her because it's 2011. She has a phone on her. <laughs> and also, so she tends to be like, as I'm getting in this car, call for backup. Or hey, deputy, I don't trust. Tell the police to find me here. Yeah. Either option. Moving on to Miss Gale. The girl we know would never give up her life for a man in a small town. And so she was failed here. I also feel like she would still have connections. So she wouldn't be begging high schoolers to help her out or for her husband who 
is useless and having a moment. <laughs> I see, I can see the point about her having connections, but she doesn't have a lot of connections. It's unclear how long she's been living here, I don't think. I mean, is this since three? Because, I mean, he asked her to marry him. They've been she- married for 10 years, yeah. I think she says. So, yeah. yeah, that to me, it didn't bother me from like a plausibility perspective. It just pl- borrowed, bothered me from like a, oh, Dewey is making you shrink who you are and cutting you off. And that makes me sad for you in a way that like feels entirely sadly plausible. The third one specifically, Dewey is making her feel like crap because she doesn't, she left him. And, and, and like, how dare she? She's, just, she's such a terrible person because she wanted to focus on her career. Um, and at the end of that movie, he asked her to marry him. So I think plausibly, I believe in that, but I do get that it's not what I would have chosen for this character. Especially because she was so ambitious. Like you, at the, in the first episode of the stream set, you were like, Gail and her ambition and people hate it. And for somehow, some way that's just beaten out of her by the end of the third one. So she's like, I'll go back to Woodsboro and die. Cause like, why, what is her purpose there? She doesn't want kids. <laughs> um, she, she barely wants Dewey. I think she thinks she wants Dewey, but she's recognizing that in this one before she stabbed, maybe that's not the right call. And so like, what's her aim here is to just sit here and be miserable and occasionally think about writing. Here's the question that I have about Gail in this movie is does art imitate life or does life imitate art? Because they were definitely separated by the time they were filming this movie and did not announce their divorce until after the movie came out or no, after it was finished filming. I I hope Gail and Dewey are divorced because like they didn't make sense. And it's one of the meta jokes that is actually (laughs) a meta for the movie and for them is because like Alison Brie is like, that just isn't something your characters would do because the two of you don't make sense (laughs) and they didn't (laughs) and they don't. Again, Gail does a Sydney thing that makes no damn sense for someone who survived a decade of being stalked by Ghostface. Um, (laughs) Gail, once her cameras are taken out by Ghostface, calls Dewey and Dewey's like, I'm on my bullshit. So Gail goes back into the barn by herself without a weapon as well. And yeah. I'm just like, why are you both trying to die in this movie? If you want to be done, just say you want to be done. Don't do these things. Well, I think <laughs> those were, those were, as filmmakers, those were great red herrings to the audience because there were so many rumors when this movie came out that one of those three were going to die. Um, yeah. and, and I think that was one of those moments that we were, that, that the filmmakers were playing with us to be like, Who's it going to be? Is it going to be Sydney? Is it going to be Gail? They're making bad decisions. So it could be either one of them. Um, even though the, I think majority of the audience is like, hopefully it's Dewey. Hopefully it's Dewey, which. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> My thing is, if you want to kill one of them, it needs to be a justified death. You can't just be like, I'm going to do something stupid because it's time. Because ha- had they died doing these dumb things, I would have been like, you know what, Kevin Williamson, I think that your time on the creek warped you. Unless, again, it was Dewey, who it would be 100% in keeping for him to die doing the stupidest thing. Like, that would clock. I would be like, he would go back in there unarmed. He would. Yes, I've seen him. <laughs> We've sort of talked about Dewey already, so I'm just going to quickly, again, go over the fact that he's super self-important and it comes across as sexist because the two people he survived these things with are women and they're like, Dewey. He's like, no. And it's like, that's my car, Dewey. I'm trying to give you the keys. <laughs> <laughs> Or you have Gail who's like, I have a lead. Will you listen to me? He's like, no, me and Lemon Squares are busy. And I'm just like, what is 
wrong with you two here? <laughs> I don't get it. Um, and he went, he went from being the lovable fool to being the toxic police chief. And I didn't and bad get it. And so it felt like they were undoing all the work they tried to do with this character because previous Dewey at least was like, we're in this together. I always get stabbed. How can we help each other live? <laughs> and this Dewey was like, I am going to fuck it up and let everybody die because my pride. Yeah, anytime anyone asks me which of the three I want to die, I'm like, Dewey can, Dewey can die. It's fine. I would be okay with that. After watching this one, I think they all need to die. We need to start anew because clearly they don't know how to give them interesting choices for what they've been through. I kind of want them to like become cameos, like where they're like still alive, but it's not really about them. Where they're like, hey, and somebody calls them, I'm like, hey, Sydney, do you have advice on surviving this? And she's like, I don't know. Run at things without weapons or whatever. That clearly is a plan. I, I, would, I would be okay with that if instead of them being in the movie, they were just consulted, you know, sort of like the new group of people who are going to do the new things. To be like, hey, I think I'm the you in this new universe. <laughs> How do I do this? Or am I the killer? <laughs> I just, we need to have fun. Because what's happened now is they're stale because you've done what you can. Like, you don't get your people to survive four horror movies. You just mm -hmm. don't. Especially when one of them was supposed to be dead twice now. So uh, I will say, I kind of slightly alluded to this earlier, but like, being back to two killers makes me unreasonably happy. Like, so I just watched Scream 3 for the first time yesterday and was like, the whole time Scott Foley was doing his, I'm evil and I'm like, oh, but Felicity. Um, and, you know, this, this is the plan. I was like, okay, who's the other person? Is it Milton? Is it who? And then I was like, oh no, it is just him. Oh, that's a surprise. Um, but then like, I do love the kind of byplay of the, this is the plan we put together together and at least one of us is just an idiot who is being lured into all of this and does not realize that I'm about to be murdered um but it, it like it kind of like it was like oh we're like coming home to this again it was it was very kind of fun and also like again meant that you could do things like oh I don't have confidence that this person in spite of the fact that they are there when this attack happens and not ghost face like they could be in on it as well yeah yes yeah, it makes yeah. it all. It just makes more sense. That's the way that you circumnavigate the whole like, like with Michael Myers or Jason, where it's like one time they're over here, and then the next time they're behind you, and then they're suddenly somewhere else, and you never know where they're going to be. The way you answer that in a real world way, out of like supernatural things, is to make it two people. It's two separate people coming after you. Well, and in the in the first in like the fake opening um the stab one there were pretty killer, clearly two killers in that one because there was one that was like behind you in the hall and then also at the door and i was like oh we're just letting us know early on that there are two killers and then i was like oh it's not real um okay never mind but uh i did appreciate having that like drawn attention to and coming back to that i did think on this rewatch that the whole jill's whole reasoning her her um, mantra, I guess. It, it seems to be even more relevant today than it was in 2012 or 2011 when this came out about like, especially with like going viral and social media and the fact that right now we're all stuck in our house and having to create virtual content to create, you know, mm -hmm. hopefully get more likes or get more blah, 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 listens or whatever. Um, 
it just seems even more relevant. And I think it's probably one of those universal things that it's always that seeking stardom thing is kind of always there. But as the internet becomes more and more integrated in all of our lives all the time, it's even more relevant. And I did think it was really interesting that they, in the film, were trying to make Sydney kind of a scapegoat a lot of the time, like the police, specifically Judy, thought Cindy was doing it. And I was like, how does this make sense, people? Uh, even though it's, <laughs> as audience, we know it isn't Sydney. Like, she's not doing this. <clears throat> but, and then make the killer Jill, who was supposed, you know, the younger Sydney, and Charlie, who is the, the younger Randy. So I thought that was a really interesting play on the first movie as well. And then in the end, which I know, Shrey, you have a note about this, so we'll get more into it in a minute. But when Sydney says... And that's why you don't fuck with the original. Mm. So all of those kind of allusions to, and like what Eleanor was saying a little bit ago about Kirby's death, alluding to Drew Barrymore's. I think this part, like from Kirby in the basement to Jill going crazy. And then uh, before we get to the hospital is probably some of the strongest parts of this film. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wish the hospital had never happened, which is my last note, basically. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> the only reason I like the hospital is for the line, that's why you don't fuck with the original. <laughs> that's the that only could have come anywhere else. The movie unravels at the hospital. It just unravels. Um, because clearly Dewey's back to being an idiot. So when like Jill is like, we have matching wounds. He's like, I can't register that. Had he not told that to Gail, Sydney would be fish sticks. Um, and so they, they arrive to save Sydney, who magically wakes up to defend herself in time. And Jill goes off the rails because this girl has had a plan. And now she's like, I will just kill us all, I guess, because I can't get out of here. <laughs> it's like, you could still save this. You could go to jail and become viral. What is your goal is to just like keep trying to kill everybody who enters the room until the whole hospital's in there. But also, but also, where is the rest of the hospital staff? Because like these hallways are dark. Nobody hears these shooting, the screaming. Nobody hears any of this fighting going on. What hospital is this? What is I mean, the hospitals? I, I had kind of thought like, oh, they think the killers are already dead. And so fair, yeah. But even so, yeah, it is, it is suspiciously empty. They went to Haddonfield. They took all, they took all of them to Haddonfield. And that's <laughs> from Halloween too. This is that hospital. Apparently, there's not anybody at the desk. There's nobody running the hallways. Like I've been to a couple of hospitals. You are never alone. <laughs> so the fact that Jill has a whole room to try to kill people in for an indefinite amount of time is ridiculous. Um, I, I kind of wish we kept the wild ending that they originally had, or one of the original endings, where as they're rolling Jill out of the house, somebody from inside the house screams, hey, she's still alive. And we don't know if it's Sydney or if it's Kirby. Oh. That would have been a better ending than this entire mess that happens at the hospital that takes too long and ruins the movie we just made. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although I did really love like the actual very end of it with the news has not gotten out yet about that Jill is the actual killer and the like, oh, she's getting exactly what she wanted, except, you know, she's dead, she's yeah. dead and everybody knows. And they're like, so five minutes later, somebody's going to be like, so about that. Uh, <laughs> we have a retraction to make. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> like, that's fun. But like, I just, I feel like. I feel like they could have done both of those things. I feel like they could have. Yeah. 
Absolutely. That ending that Sheree had and then had that little montage of the, and they could have been outside the house, just like Gail yeah. was, and just like Gail mm -hmm. was at the end of Scream 1, which would have been another really fun tieback to the original. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, this feels like an ending they wrote just to like keep people from figuring out what the ending is because of the leaks they're always afraid of. Um, and then they filmed it and then kept it is what it feels like. Yeah. And I'm like, we didn't, I, I don't mm -hmm. want this. That's a, that's a this is like the trash thing that they were not going to use and they're like oh why the heck not right. <laughs> the leaks and stuff is kind of part of my hot take so do you want to roll into hot takes real quick yes all right i'll go with mine first we've already kind of talked about her and i think she's going to be part of a lot of our discussions but so i love kirby <laughs> kirby is top three favorite characters uh in the franchise for me behind gail and uh sydney um i and i don't think she's dead um, I don't think in Wes Craven's mind she was dead. Uh, of course, he has passed away now, so we can't tell us for sure. But he did hint in an interview, someone asked him about Kirby, and he said, you did not see, you, you don't see her dead body. You see her stabbed, Ooh. and then it cuts. And anytime we don't see someone fall on the ground dead, it's up in the air. And that is from Wes Craven himself. Now... I don't I don't really think they will bring her back to five because of leaks. I'm not gonna mm. name any, I'm not gonna name any names, but there was a cast member they were trying to keep under wraps. And and a, a simple accident from another cast member posting a picture of a huge group of people on the beach. Well, that one person was there, and then everyone was like, oh my God, she's in this movie. It's not Hayden Pinatero, so because really <laughs> my yeah. thought before that and now and now she has to be officially in like the imdb page she has been added to pr stuff yeah. um and so That's i don't, why I don't google it yeah i don't i don't think she will be they'll bring her they i mean they could they could pull some crazy fbi CIA, uh, crazy cia stuff and really keep it in the wraps or maybe she's the first kill or something but yeah, there, there. It was a pretty big leak that happened in the casting. I knew when they started filming. I can't Google it after I see the movie, and that's why when people are like, "Let's talk about," I'm like, "No, we don't need to talk about anything. I don't want your spoilers." Um, <laughs> that's why I did. That's I why I was smart. I did not say any names. Yeah, I can't Google these actors. I can't Google Wes Craven. I can't Google Gavin Williamson. All these people are dead to me until I've seen this next movie because the internet is a ruiner. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> It's fair. Yeah. And I don't like if Scream, the first Scream was being made today, it wouldn't, it, it would not have worked because that whole Drew Barrymore thing would have been leaked. Everyone would have known it. We, because now we know everyone's schedule, which I think is fucking weird. Why are we in these people's lives all the time? Like we know, we know where she is filming this movie. And then we know she's going here to film this movie. And then she'll be home for three weeks. We know her home address. And I'm like, y'all. <laughs> let these people live no, the internet has become ghost face and i hope that that is a theme in this next movie <laughs> what's your hot take Eleanor? um my hot take which was originally about kirby's gayness and then i just had too many feelings about that um is and this kind of ties back to some stuff we've also already talked about and also my love of cheesiness but like i think if i were to watch the film uh stab five which is as we know from this the one that has time traveling i think i would genuinely enjoy it more than i enjoy any of the scream movies and like i really enjoyed all of the scream movies but like i love me some campy nonsense and like time traveling serial killers 
slashers like there's nothing that's better than that in my heart so i really i hope that whoever made this uh series of them did justice to stab five time traveling ghost face like i'm going to see if i can find it and i will send you the link because please I feel do like we all need stabbed in this 2020 situation so my hot take has shifted a little bit just because i walked into this going i don't understand the kirby love but now that we're looking at Kirby as possibly the secret lesbian, I understand the Kirby love, but I still don't need her to be alive. Um, so all people who need her to be alive, we don't need that, especially because of the way this fourth one ruined their ending. Like had we had that yell from the house that she's alive and we didn't know if it was Sydney or Kirby, perhaps, but we made the choice to keep Sydney alive again. Um, <laughs> we went to the hospital and we did this nonsense. So let Kirby stay dead she is a fun character but I just think that I am in I am not in the majority in which I need to hold on to every character and pick them up like Trotsky's we can kill them it's fine we don't collect them all they're not Pokemon we can release (laughs) them after we're done with them and it helps the story move all right well let's leave that there um Sheree what we got going on next week Next week, we're done with Scream. Imagine that. Um, We're going to head over to the orphanage with Peter Ruiz. Um, And it's going to be a scary time because we know how I feel about kids in horror movies. So, yeah. It's a good one. All right. Again, make sure you're following us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, or you can email us at nightmareonfearstory at gmail.com. Make sure you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Um, it helps people find us. It helps um, our name pop up in searches when people put in like horror or movies or fierce. <laughs> um, so yes, make sure you rate and review us. That would be very, very helpful. Um, thank you, Eleanor, for joining us on our final screen thank you. episode. And we will surely have you back at some point. Thanks to everyone out there listening. Um, make sure you all stay fierce out there. Bye.